Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 154, and I'm your host, Nick Cortigo. This week, Dr. Fauci talks about returning to school and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases is working on a study to further understand how COVID-19 affects children. We'll tell you when we expect their results. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, CJ Reynolds of Real Rap with Reynolds gives us some pointers on how to relate to your students. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is June the 5th. 2020, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host and school principal, Christina Pollard. Christina, I saw you announcing this week online that you are officially over at uh, the Laurel School District coming out of Forest County. How exciting has this week been for you? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, I, I've been stretched between the two schools for the last couple of months, you know, having a little extra time on my hands because of COVID-19, but um it's bittersweet. When I started on Monday, I made it to my office and you'll you'll probably laugh, but I got emotional. Um, I actually came to tears realizing that my five years at my former school was over and it was real and I wasn't going back and how much I was going to miss my children. I love them so much and I always will. But, you know, after I let that moment go, I looked forward. And I'm just too excited about being in a school district where I've been building a really strong relationship with our district administrators, specifically the um, superintendent and assistant superintendent. I love the amount of support that they like to provide, the open communication and dialogue to plan together as an administrative team. It is so refreshing um, that, you know, to have them want to know your thoughts and everybody plays a role in decision-making and trying to do what's best for the students of the Laurel School District. I am pumped. You've been in this business for a little while, and I know we probably have a lot of younger uh, listeners out there, younger teachers um, and administrators. And what's your advice to somebody, and this probably applies to any business, but what's your advice to somebody that is leaving one district and heading to the other? Because it took me a while to, to, I know what I think you should do, and, and but it took me a while to get there. It took me a little bit of maturing to learn how to properly leave a place. Well, to properly leave, because you don't want to burn any bridges at all, and you always want to be able to reach back if you need to communicate with your former supervisor. So you need to have a good transition plan. And that goes on both sides with your current school or business, um, having a transition plan with your current supervisor. What do you need from me for my successor? And then for your new supervisor, here are the things that I need to be able to transition into this position. Clearly communicate it. Um, let them know what type of supports, what type of data, what type of research, if this, you know, a business, um, just what you need so that you can begin to identify um, needs and action steps 
um, to develop your your plan for the next year. It can be frustrating sometimes when you're leaving a place. You may have um, a grudge, or you know, I'm not saying you do, but any of us who leave a place may have some you know frustrations that we had at the, our previous employer, and you may want to just drop a bomb as you're headed out the door. That's never a good idea, though, right? It's not. It's unprofessional. It goes against your integrity. I mean, like your mom says, that's not how you were raised. And to be honest with you, I've been in that situation once um, where I was actually leaving um, a district with negative feelings. But to this day, they will never know who they are because I made sure I left with my head held high, with respect, with professionalism. And every day forward, anytime that I can run into them or see them, I can speak and be cordial. And how have you been doing? It's great to see you. Um, it doesn't benefit you to blow up and let them know just how disgusted you are with their practices and, and their behaviors or, you know, how they treated you or how you think they should have done things differently or better. It's best to move on. Um, I actually, you know, I, I have a prayer journal and I circle my friends, my colleagues, obviously my family um, in prayer. And I try to write very specific prayers. And I wrote a very specific prayer for my successor, my former assistant principal um, and the students at the school that I'm leaving in hopes that, you know, they are successful, that they can take the school to greater heights than I ever was able to do. And I wish them the absolute best. And to me, that sets me up for great blessings in my next chapter. Right. Absolutely. That's great advice. Now, you were telling me before we, we started recording that um, this week has been kind of, you've been practicing what we've been talking about for the past several episodes, and that's trying to, I guess, put a plan in place for reopening next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are now down to the nuts and bolts of identifying exactly what our response to COVID-19 um, will look like for re-entry into school in August. And I love the way our superintendent rolled it out. We had um, multiple conversations and our last conversation um, from yesterday allowed us to break out into different sub teams to identify steps, resources, supports, procedures necessary to cover everything from health and safety to transportation to child nutrition to instructional practices, whether it's face-to-face or virtually, um, procedures for attendance for students as well as teachers, because we right now don't know, you know, how exposure to the symptoms might go. So how do you protect your staff members? And we had a very in-depth conversation and I'm excited about it because we've developed a skeletal plan so far. We're going to come back to the table on Monday and debrief. We're going to debrief again on Tuesday. And what I'm really excited about is our stakeholder meeting scheduled for Wednesday of next week. So we have a meeting where um, every school identified parents as um, community stakeholders, and we're bringing them all to the table on Zoom for um, a conversation to get their opinion, their concerns, so that we can address, you know, what they think we need. And then we have a certified teacher meeting where um, every school has representatives to be able to give their opinion about the um, instructional platforms, the learning management systems that we need to um, identify what's economical, what's best in regard to um, professional development and implementation from the teacher side. And then, of course, use from the student side and being able to get support from parents. And then the last piece is a community partner 
meeting where local businesses, daycares, different people that, you know, it matters to them what we do in our school district, right. getting their opinion and, and what they might see as a struggle and or how they can help us and then bringing it all together for a final plan to present to the Department of Education. It sounds like a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work. And it, I'll tell you just for today, I was... Um, in a small subgroup starting about eight o'clock this morning. And we worked until um, probably two o'clock. And this is on the phone. This is working in Google Docs and um, on Zoom. Um, At a certain point, we had to get on a Zoom call just to develop the skeletal piece. Um, and then honestly, after we record this, this week's, uh, session, I'm going to go in and continue some more edits for them to review before we have to present our portion on Monday. And, and we live in a part of the country and there's probably a lot of our listeners who are in similar places where nothing's really uniform around here and, and not even just with the rules, but even the way people seem to act and feel, um, you know, it's like I can go to some places and somebody wants to shake my hand still, and then I can go around somebody else and they're wearing a mask. And right. uh, and it's like, you, no one's really kind of feels like they're on the, the same page here. I have traveled a little bit um, over the past month, and there are other places I've been where everyone seems to be on the same page. Just, I guess it really comes down to leadership. Um, maybe a governor has more strict rules in place and mayors are following those rules and so forth, where everyone's I kind think, of wearing masks. I think leadership is, is key because let's just look at our city. Um, our mayor is doing a phenomenal job with expectations, with procedures, and requiring um, everyone to try to help protect each other by requiring those masks. And they're having signs at all the businesses. But you can drive 30 minutes north or 30 minutes south. Just leave the, t- the municipality. It's yeah. completely relaxed. Right. And there are no rules. And, and you haven't heard anything from the local leadership. And it, and it worries me. Um, because I work in a different county than where I live mm-hmm. and the practices are much more relaxed. Well, and that kind of leads me to my question. So it's like, are you starting to hear from teachers that you're going to be working with and are they on the same page or are some of them just like, I'm, I'm coming, I don't care. You know, I, I have not had any teachers tell me they're not coming. They are concerned about what will the procedures look like. And I'm basically just letting them know that we're in that planning stage now. I think a lot of them are aware that there's a, a subgroup at every school that's been identified to be a part of the larger decision making team. And so I think they appreciate that. A lot of them are ready to, to get back to normal. And I find that I've had to communicate with some folks that this we're not going back to normal practices and, you know, no, we can't have cheerleading camp and we can't do this, even though the high school athletic association gave a little relaxed instructions. um, I'm still concerned about having appropriate um, PPE and just different things in our building before we start allowing the children back in. And I want to make sure that we've covered all of our bases to be able to start instruction in August. And I don't want to jeopardize it with lackadaisical, you know, activities over the summer. Right. No doubt. Well, I saw that on um, CNN. Um, Fauci apparently had done an interview with him and he was speaking about schools and he said, quote, I hesitate to make any broad statements about whether it is or is not safe for kids to come back to school. He says, when you talk about children going back to school and their safety, it really depends on the level of viral activity in the particular area that you're talking about. What happens um, all too often, understandably, but sometimes misleadingly, is that we talk about the country as a whole in an undimensional way. So he kind of seems to be like, you know, we're going to need to look this at this from a community by community basis on when we when we go back to school. But he, he is he's not at least saying, 
you know, we st- we don't need to go back to school in the fall. So there is a little bit of a concession there, I think. Well, he's absolutely right. So I can go ahead and tell you that the school I'm serving in is um, actually in the number in the county that is um, ranked number one right now in our state right. as a hotspot and new cases. And that terrifies me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I'm told that we're number nine in the nation in regard to the increased number of new cases of COVID-19. So with that being said, as principal, I've chosen not to have those student activities going on this summer because we're in a county that's considered a hot spot. We need to settle down and let our numbers come down so that it can appear that we can have a healthy, safe start to school. Even if it is a hybrid or virtual, the teachers are still going to have to come to the building. Teachers are going to be the ones that are at an even greater risk of getting sick. Um, a lot of times the children are going to be carriers. So there's just a lot of things to think about, and we have to understand that so many are not truly educated on what's going on. And we can't just allow conversations and posts on social media to drive our education about COVID-19. We really, really have to do a good job of um, not only training our teachers, but providing quality information to our parents and students. Yeah, it's uh, my wife and I, and I hate to bring too much personal stuff onto the podcast, but my wife and I were discussing whether or not we we let our little girl go back to um, daycare in a few weeks. Um, she, we've been not in daycare since middle of March. And um, I said, you know, because things do feel like they're getting back to normal. But I said, well, what does the data say? Like, and we need to make a decision. We need to set a goal. And if we don't meet that goal in a few weeks, then we don't need to send her back. We actually need to like look at the charts and see, is it still really declining? Because here in Mississippi, it's not really declining it, just yet. It is not. Yeah. It is not at all. And another thing is you have to look at what measures your daycare is put in place to make sure children are safe. Um, What type of uh, protective gear um, is the staff wearing? What procedures have they posted and now have in place for um, hand washing, socializing, the learning environment and play? Um, Because it's got to be very different. And and I know our daycare, for example, and you might be planning on doing this with kindergartners. I know it's common for parents to want to walk their children into the school. They aren't allowing that anymore. They're they're having we're limiting Mm -hmm. visitors in the building. Yeah. So so that first day of dropping that kindergartner off, it's probably going to be for me, you know, just waving goodbye from the car uh, as a as a. I have to tell you, um, as an administrator. I've always thought that that was probably the best thing to do to keep a child from crying mm-hmm. because they're going to cry in front of you. But the moment you turn and walk away and drive away, right? oh, they're so excited and there's so much fun happening and they forget all about that. Yeah. Then the next day when you walk them again, they're crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's entertainment for the parent. And then the parent is all sad, you know, and, and, and we said we weren't, won't, you know, tr- we try not to share too many personal things, but I was a school administrator when my youngest son started kindergarten and I had to be at work. It was the first day of school. It was the middle school. You know, you got to come in and have all your ducks in a row. I had to have a friend take my son to meet the teacher night, which was open house as well as his first day in kindergarten. But you know what? My baby was tough. I gave him a big hug. We did sang our song. We were so excited Mm -hmm. and he went on and my friend Nicole is the one that took him to kinder for me. And I remember, you know, she called me and she said, okay, he's in class and everything's okay. I said, did you walk him all the way to the door? And she said, I did. I said, did you go in the class like the other parents? She said, I did not. I told him he was a big boy, gave him a hug and a kiss and told him to go in and be great. Right. And I thought about if I had actually had the opportunity to take him 
he would have been crying, I would have been crying, and it would have been a mess. <laughs> well, and you know what? They want to be big boys and big girls, and they want to be great. So sometimes when you push them that way, you get good results. So I like that. Um, there was another headline to come out of that Fauci story, which I felt was buried. It was actually like the last few paragraphs, and it was something that I had not heard of. And and they talked about how the um, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases is actually um, launched a study last month to examine how COVID-19 affects children. And what they've done is they're studying 6,000 people, both children and their families, and they've selected um, these people from 11 different cities, and the study will take place over the next six months, just so they can kind of get a a better picture of whether children are less likely to catch coronavirus than adults, and I guess Hmm. more looking into that whole silent carrier theory. I mean, that that appears to be true. Um, So Fauci says uh, in that story that they're expecting to see results from that, um, not until December, but in December. So I I didn't even realize, you know, specifically that that type of research is going on. And that makes me feel a little bit better to know that, you know, if, if by December, we kind of know how likely it is for kids. I mean, I wish it could be faster. That is a, a piece of good news. But I am just glad that they're going ahead and conducting that yeah. um, and and sharing that with us. I wonder what other studies are kind of in the undercurrent right now. Right. I mean, there's so much news to digest. It feels like we're drinking out of a fire hydrant at times. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, and that's what we're going to do here on the show is try to sift through some of that news that affects schools. Um, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? I love our guest today. I am. I'm super excited about it. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an educator from West Philadelphia who is known for finding ways to relate with the students. CJ Reynolds' YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, has over 45,000 followers. And CJ has a brand new book out titled Teach Your Class Off. CJ Reynolds, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited to have you. And first, though, I want to talk about this name, Real Rap with Reynolds. I mean, <laughs> what, what what exactly does Real Rap mean? Let's start there. You know, so before I before I tell you what it means, I just every time I think of the name that I named my channel and my brand, it's like uh, I I remember hearing Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters say that like if they knew the Foo Fighters was going to be anything um, (laughs) more than like this little album he might have thought about the name a little bit harder because you know it doesn't relate to education necessarily or like in a way that is obvious at all so what my when my students come in my room I eat lunch with my students and I have since I started teaching uh, right now, it's about 30 students two times a day fill my classroom, and it is a space for students to just be who they are. Um, if they want to sit in the corner, they can just listen to music. They can play games with their friends. Some kids bring in their Switch. Some kids just like want to sit quietly or hang out. And whenever I have a kid that wants to just talk with me about something sensitive that's going on, they, there's like a level of vulnerability that they're willing to share with me. Um, they will often ask other students to step back because they're having real rap with Reynolds. And everyone knows that, and they will give that kid room so we can talk about something. And so I used to write these quotes on my board called Real Rap with Reynolds that were um, that I just thought were like thoughts of the day. And so when I started the YouTube channel, that's what it became, Real Rap with Reynolds. But it was sort of this homage to my students and this sort of inside joke that then became you know, me getting tons and tons of emails from beat makers because I'm clearly a rapper and they want to know if I want the user beats. And I'm like, my man, that is a skill that I do not possess. So that's where it came from. It, it is me trying to be authentic and real and vulnerable with people on social platforms and beyond um, 
around this idea of, of education. Well, it must have worked because, like I said, you have over 45,000 followers now on YouTube, so you must have resonated with somebody. Um, if you can, draw me a picture a little bit about, you know, you were you are teaching in inner city Philadelphia. I mean, what were those first days like? Was that your first teaching job in the city? No, so I taught in Camden, New Jersey before that, um, which is very... It was very similar in a lot of ways, but I teach at all boys school now. So my, my first days of, of as an educator, I mean, that first day, I was in school for like two weeks before and I set up my desks and I set up my lesson plans and my lessons were like everything was printed out and my you know room was all decorated. And I was so thrilled. But I remember that first day when the bell rang and I could hear kids like this swarm of children coming down the hallway, I immediately thought like, what in the world I get myself into. And that was terrifying. And then, you know, because, because it's the unknown, because you're not sure if like, oh my God, goodness, like that, um, that sense of like, are they going to figure out that I'm an imposter is it kicks <laughs> in. And so that was quickly just, you know, dissipated. Um, and, and it comes back every year. I mean, it's something that I'm afraid of or get nervous about, uh, every year, and I have dreams about every year. But ultimately, it was it was terrifying. But then it, it went away when I realized that you know kids wanted to be seen. Kids wanted to 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 do work. They wanted to have a better life. They wanted to um, to engage and have someone that's going to listen to them. And so, like once I got together on that relational piece, um, all those fears kind of went out the window. Well, and I know you help a lot of other educators around the country with your channel and other avenues that you use um, to like, you know, help them with classroom management and help them be real, I guess. But but you, I think, admit, right, that classroom management and dealing with the students in West Philadelphia was a little bit of a challenge for you at first, right? Oh, for sure. Because, you know, one, I just think they're, they're teenagers, right? Like I'm, I teach teenagers, which is a time in your life that, you know, there's a reason that when you are 14, 15 years old, you start listening to the music that your parents hated uh, or they hate. You start dyeing your hair purple. Um, you know, for my guys, they'll grow like they'll grow their hair out longer or they'll get dreads or braids and their parents do not like this, uh, many of them. And so there's a reason we do that because we don't know how else to sort of stand out. So we do it in any way that we can. And so kids just think that like you're supposed to hate school and I'm going to hate school. And so it it becomes this thing between the teacher and and the student. But I just think that there's ways to kind of mitigate that and, and get around it very quickly. So so what are your tricks? Like, how do you get your students to, to buy into you and buy into your curriculum? I, you know, I think it starts day one. I think that uh, and, and look, if you if you mess up and, and you don't do it right on, on day one, I don't think that that you know, there's no redemption. I, th- I think you can you can get your stuff together at any point in the year. But I start the first day of school by just telling kids that I'm thrilled to be there, that I'm so excited that you're in my class, that I actually want to be here. And that sounds ridiculous because all teachers should want to be there. No one made you become a teacher, right? This isn't like, uh, you know, my, I grew up in a blue collar family where everyone just assumed I was going to be a union worker. And when I didn't do that, it was it appalled my family, but I don't know that anyone, maybe, but I don't know anyone that grew up in a family of educators and they were like, wait, what? You're not going to be an educator? And then they became some, you know, miserable person that's handing out worksheets in the classroom. But I just, you know, but that happens. Like folks lose the fire. And so I want kids to know that, no, I want to be here. I could be 
anywhere, but I want to teach here and I want to teach you and I want to have the greatest year ever. So on that first day, there's no talk of rules or policies or procedures. All that stuff comes later. There's no syllabus until at least day three or four. It is me trying to connect with students and get them excited about the year. And I know that that you know, that we only have limited days and, and that we need to get through the stuff that we need to get through in school. And there's, you know, but I think there's still time to, uh, to, to build it up, to get people excited about what's going on. And then from the jump, I get to know my students. I want to know everything about them. Where do you come from? What are you interested in? What kind of music do you like? What kind of movies do you like? You know, and when we learn who we are teaching this year, then that changes everything, right? We can't just think we know what 14-year-olds are like or 15-year-olds are like or kids from, you know, New Mexico are like or kids from West Philadelphia are like. Like, we can't just make these grand assumptions. We have to actually do the work of getting to know who our students are. And then when we know who our students are, then we can teach those folks that are right in front of us. That's really interesting. Now, you were probably figuring that out on the job, you know, that this is this is what I need to do. Do you ever have like, did you have an example of where you were, you know, trying this theory of getting to know the students before you throw a syllabus at them? And and you could actually like see the response from even a specific student? Did you ever go home to your wife and say, holy cow, I I did this today? and, And this is the feedback I got? So I think, you know, with regards to to relationships, I think that always was, that was always my strong point, right? Like if there's something I came into education with, it was this, not that I was good at at content or like getting back to emails and doing paperwork. There's a lot of things that like I struggle with, mm-hmm. but it was the connection piece with, with young people always sort of came easy to me just because I was innately interested. Like I don't, want to talk to young folks and tell them all about me, although I do because I think that shared vulnerability, um, what you're doing is showing the students an example of like, this. Is, these are the kind of things we can talk about. This is where we can go if you want to. But it was because I was interested in them. And so when that, so that you know, becomes very evident when you're an educator because it's like, are the kids coming and hanging in your room in the morning and are they coming in after school? So even if you can't eat lunch with your students, are they just showing up just to say what's up, just to say goodbye, just to ask how your day was, just to see, you know, that you were here today. Are kids showing up when you're not at school and saying like, yo, where were you yesterday? You know, or, or when I get text messages, like if I have a speaking engagement, I will often get texts from kids that are like, yo, I don't like this substitute. You need to come back to school. It's like, well, I'm in Colorado. I can't just come back to school right now. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to do. Cause I don't like this substitute teacher. It's like that. Those are that that students showing you that they care. So that that part's there. Where I think it next leveled was in my first year, um, like many schools, we were celebrating Black History Month and we did like kind of like the one of the obvious Black History Month um, activities, which would be to study Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And we were talking about persuasive essays and, and all this stuff. And I worked really hard to come up with this lesson. I thought it was great. Be- I thought it was great because it hit all the markers on the curriculum that I was supposed to be hitting. It was hitting like a ton of common core standards. But then when we, when I rolled it out, like within the first five to 10 minutes, everyone wanted to go to the bathroom, right? And that that's when everyone wants to go to the bathroom, this is a telltale sign that no one cares about your lesson and they don't really want to do this. They just want to like escape. So, you know, it, it, it aggravated me so much because I felt like I put time and effort in, but not 
in thinking about what would actually be interesting to students or how to engage students. It was about what was interesting to me and how this related to checking off all these boxes. So in my frustration, I just kind of told kids like, well, look, what do you want to do, man? Like, what do you guys, what do you think is interesting? And they said, well, let's, we want to do something around music or poetry or entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, it has to be rooted in black history. What can we do? And they were like, what about, um, someone brings up the Harlem Renaissance. So I go home and over that weekend, um, I come up with a new plan. And that plan is we're going to create a museum in our room around the idea of the Harlem Renaissance and everyone gets a person and they have to create an exhibit. And this lesson, it was the first time I ever like was in class and I was strictly facilitating. I was not teaching anything. The kids were learning on their own and kids would come in at six o'clock in the morning. They'd stay till seven o'clock at night. They'd leave and go get dinner at the corner store and come back to school and keep working on it. And it was unbelievable. And that was showing me that it's not just relationships. You have to use those relationships to get an insight on what kids want to learn and what what excites them and then use that to your advantage as an educator to make your classroom come alive. That's so powerful. And I love that you're sharing, you know, those experiences and these ideas um, with the education community out there, which I guess is probably why you were like, I've got to write a book. Um, so you wrote teacher class off, which is out already. Yep. What I wanted to do there was to create a book that I just simply, I wish existed when I started teaching, you know, when I started teaching, I, I felt like there were blogs that existed, but they were few and far between. Like blog culture wasn't where it is now. There was certainly nothing on YouTube. Um, and I mean, cause YouTube was kitten videos back then, but mm-hmm. you know, there was, and even the books that I read, although I loved some of them, like some of my heroes, like Rafe Esquith, it, it was, that was like reading a book about, that was like watching the recent, like Michael Jordan doc and being like, I'm going to do that. When it was like, <laughs> Yo, I, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I have that in me, at least not yet. I need to build those skills. And so I wanted to create a book that that literally someone could read and then tomorrow they could show up to class and it could change things. Because I think doing better in anything is about learning how to just move the needle a little bit. So, you know, last year I read this really great book by David Goggins called You Can't Hurt Me. And after it, I was so pumped to like do something with myself that I decided I was going to run every single day for a year. And that you know, but I knew the way I could do that was that I had to create a minimum amount of running that I had to do that would allow me to do that. So I only had to run a mile, right? So for me, that was doable, but mm-hmm. someone could run around their block every day and that would be the same if that's what you have in you. So like the idea was to to set the bar so ridiculously low that I could do it. Now, it didn't make it any less difficult. There were days when it was thunder and lightning, it was raining, there was ice outside, it was really difficult and teaching can feel like that too. But can you move the needle a little bit? Can you shake everyone's hand at your door every single day and say hello so that the invisible kids, the kids that feel like they're invisible, know they're visible? Can you um, you know, meet one student a day or start standing in the hallway where students are leaving every day just saying goodbye to people right? so that you are now seen around the school and people know who you are? And that's going to increase your likelihood of students actually talking to you or caring about you or seeing that you care. It's an expression of care to students. So it's it's little things like that. Or instead of a pizza party, right? Um, we have cereal parties in my classroom where we eat cereal with the least nutritional value because that is like, it just blows kids' minds. It's like everyone's had a hundred pizza parties uh, as a student, but you know, to eat top ramen, which are six for a dollar or to, or to have, you know, 
cereal with the least nutritional value. It just shows kids that like that you're willing to go a little bit outside the box, change things just a little bit that has this huge impact on your, on your life as educator. Who, what type of educator did you write this book for in your mind? So to me, initially it was folks that were just starting out, but I've gotten so many emails over the last few years from teachers that are like, you know, one of the, for instance, I have this woman who helps me out, Edie and Edie's been teaching for a really long time. She's, she's about three way, three years away from, from, uh, retirement. And she said that finding, you know, some of the stuff I was talking about on, on YouTube was like reinvigorated her. Like it made her want to start connecting with students more. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really within mind, like anyone that's new or anyone that's just sort of like kind of lost the fire a little bit, right? Like they are, are they're feeling a little bit burned out. They're feeling a little bit, um, shaken by the the scripted lesson plans and um and the the overwhelming curriculum and the the testing and it's what I'm trying to do is show folks how to sprinkle magic on a regular classroom no matter what your situation is. Uh in fact speaking of fire um you actually have an endorsement on the book um from one of my favorite guests on the show uh Hamish Brewer author of uh, Relentless and and he said teach your class off is spoken truth meets slam poetry meets education. Um he goes on to say that he couldn't put the book down. I mean so how did you get his endorsement. How did that come about? So um, I I didn't know Hamish personally, but you know when you're looking for book endorsements, it's like who do I who do I want to look at on the back of my book or on the inside of my book and feel good that I know that person? And it also gives you an excuse to reach out to people. So um, Hamish is someone that look there's a, there's a lot of edge celebrities out there right now. These folks that sort of like have a platform and they have a really great great classroom or they have they're really famous on like TPT or something like that. And that, that is what it is, right? There are folks though in that space that are like really doing the work, like that I really appreciate. Like, so Hamish Brewer goes and speaks to tons of people at some conference where it looks like, you know, an arena filled with folks that are stoked, that are excited, that are yelling and screaming and carrying on. But then the next day he's like back in his high school, putting together new desks in the, in the, the hallway or something along those lines. And and even just knowing him, um, he's about the kids, right? So like we have this commonality of like education's only ever about the students. And so um so I reached out to him because I that was a voice that I just wanted to know that like we are we are partners in in this work that we're doing. And so that's how I view everybody that has been willing to endorse the book is like on on some level we are all partners in in doing this work because because education's a community event. It's not a solo activity. Good stuff. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job if I I didn't kind of put you on the spot here and ask you a tough question. And that is, um, you know, we're we're at a time in our country where um, there's a lot of division. Um, you have all the reaction for uh, George Floyd's death. Um, and you probably have a lot of students. I know that you're, you're doing this through distance learning, but have you been communicating with them about the specifics of what's going on in the country right now? So uh, to, to be fair, um, these are never hard conversations to have with students, right? And I want, I want, I really think educators need to hear that because- Wait, so, so they're and, not hard, you said? No, 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 not at all. Okay. But, and, and here's why. Because, because when you create- a community within your classroom or within your school or amongst your faculty of having honest conversations, no matter what, 
then when things come up, you are you've already made the de- you've already made the deposit into those students. They already know that you care. They already know that you're real. They already know that you're willing to have a conversation about anything and that you're willing to be vulnerable, that you're willing to not know everything, that you're willing to be sad in front of them, that you're willing to show your heartbreak um, and your concern and your your uh, your passion for something. And so I feel, you know, as though it, where I teach, unfortunately, we have lost any number of students over the years to gun violence. And so, and, and, and a number of other things as well, but, but may, most of our students have been lost to gun violence. And when that happens, that is something that I never shy away from. That's something that as soon as I get the call, that something happened to someone, I immediately go into this mode of like, how are we going to support the students? Because that's what it's about for me. It's not about me. It's not about my uncomfortability. And when we can do that, when we get past that and show up for our kids, we are, and 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 that can look as easy as, and I, I, I don't want to say easy, um, as simple as this. What you're doing is creating a safe space in your classroom for students to explore and express what they are feeling and thinking. And when we can do that, we know that we don't have to have answers. So when I'm thinking about something like what happened to George Floyd or any number of, of folks that have that have died in, in the same way, it is showing up to school and creating a safe space where kids can just talk about it. I don't have to have answers because I don't have answers. I can't tell you why this is happening or like, like I big picture. Yes. But like when, you know, a student has been murdered, um, a student a few years ago that was killed, that was trying to, it was called by his sister who was being beaten up by her boyfriend and went to go get the sister out of the house. The guy pulled Mm -hmm. a gun, shot him in the stomach and he was killed. And so I don't, I can't, when kids ask me, why did that happen? Mr. Reynolds, I don't, have a like a an answer for you right of course it's tied into larger systemic issues and and things of that nature but what i can do is sit with you in your hurt what i can do is give you a place to show up and know that you can cry you can be mad you can be angry you can pound the table you can you know do what you need to do but know that i'm there with you because your attention is more important than your advice anyway and so when when things like this happen it's it's calling students, you know, cause it's difficult now, but like, cause usually we're in the same space together and we can just sit quietly, mm-hmm. but it's learning how to sit quietly with someone, even if that's uncomfortable to you. And so whether that's a phone call or a zoom call and just checking in on kids, I think right now the best thing educators can do is check in on those students, make sure that they have a voice, make sure that their feelings are there, are, are validated, that they feel like it's okay to be upset, to be angry, to be sad, to be depressed, to be confused and letting them know that they're not invisible, that you do in fact care. And that expression of care can be as simple as a phone call, a text message that you're thinking about them, feeling about them. And that's, you know, a a micro thing that you can do, like that's on a small scale. Um, But I think that that is the move right now. And and putting all that aside, what has things been like for you uh, during all this quarantine? I mean, have you been able to have these Zoom calls with your students um, where you guys can just talk and you aren't necessarily talking about classwork? Yeah, so I think Zoom calls are an interesting thing right now because, uh, you know, like a lot of educators have learned is that students go on Zoom calls and they don't actually look into the camera. They're like right. doing three other things. And I'm not sure what that is. Uh, part of me feels like it's a power move. Like it's like, a, I don't have to look at you right now and I can still play Call of Duty. But um, <laughs> I, I think 
I found that phone calls are better and that uh, because they're more personal, that especially with teaching boys, um, I found that my male students are far more apt to, to discuss something with me when we have that one-on-one, right back to that real rap with Reynolds piece when there's a little bit of space between them and everyone else because they don't have to, there's not going to be a judgment put on their feelings or how, or how they're carrying their hurt, that there's this openness and this ability to just do it. So um, those go as they go. Some kids open up, some kids cry, some kids tell you how they're feeling. Some kids say it doesn't really bother them because they've sort of been, you know, uh, they're sort of desensitized at at this point to to a lot of what's going on. Some kids bottle that up because they don't, want to share they don't want to feel it that you know it, it taps into all these other places of hurt in their lives but you know how kids are going to take it is is how kids are going to take it what we are what our job is is to show up um we show up we do the work and then how someone is going to interpret that or how they're going to interact with that is up to them well uh cj reynolds again the uh, book is teach your class off um it was uh looks like an april release right so you you released right during the middle of the quarantine with your new <laughs> it was like right after the quarantine <laughs> happened it was like oh now we have a book release and but we're all at home but i think you know one of the things i love about the book and my publisher actually like um dave burgess they moved a lot of books back because of the quarantine because they didn't feel like they were applicable and and one of the things i love about the book is that you know, I feel like I created something that even in this time of quarantine, it is figuring out ways to take distance learning even. And like I said, like sprinkle magic on it to do something a little right. bit left of center to make this about your students, to get excited about what you're doing again and to get after it. Well, good stuff. We wish you the best of luck with that book. Again, your YouTube channel is Real Rap with Reynolds. And if somebody wants to keep up with you, say like on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you like to hang out, how do they find you? Uh, I'm real rap with Reynolds on on all platforms. And what's your favorite platform, though? I guess a lot of teachers like Twitter. It seems like. But what about you? you that, which I didn't know. So I I pushed hard on Instagram. So Instagram is where okay. most of my stuff happens because I uh, because it's that 280 character limit, man, that throws me off on Twitter. Right. Where I'm uh, I'm a long winded dude, so it doesn't it's not really conducive to to how I convey my message. But Instagram and YouTube are the best places to to follow what what I'm doing. Hey, I forgot to give you a heads up on this, but usually with all of our guests, we do a pop quiz where we ask all the guests seven of the same questions. Are you game for doing that? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, reading. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Um, I think we should be talking to students more about social, emotional well-being. What does every child deserve? A fair and appropriate education. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Uh, I think lack of autonomy. And if teachers were allowed to teach the actual students that were in front of them instead of the curriculum or or to the policies that they've been given, we'd have much better classroom environments. What's the best gift to give an educator? Um, Freedom to move and freedom to, to be the teacher they always dreamed of being. Which teacher changed your life? Uh, I, I never had one, that, and that is part of the reason really? I'm in education. I never had a teacher that I thought, that's the t- kind of teacher I want to be. Wow. And uh, last question, pen or pencil? Uh, oh, depends what I'm doing. So uh, I'm, I'm a pen guy, but that's because I really like cursive. But if I'm doing lists and stuff, uh, it's, it's the number two pencil classic. So do kids still write in cursive, or are you the last one? 
No, most of my students don't even know what I'm saying when I write in cursive. So, uh, you know, it's my one year in Catholic school, I think, that that locked me into cursive. All right. Fair enough. Again, uh, CJ Reynolds, we appreciate your time. Uh, that book, again, is called Teach Your Class Off, The Real Rap Guide to Teaching. Uh, best of luck with that. And thank you so much for uh, coming on Class Dismissed. Bro, thanks a lot, man. And thanks for the work that you're doing. It's important and I appreciate you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.